0: Welcome to the Philanthropy Impact podcast, where we discuss all things philanthropy, impact investing and sustainability.
1: Hi, and welcome to Philanthropy Impact's Walking My Shoes member series, where we explore topics that are useful to you and your clients as they embark on their purpose-driven wealth strategies and philanthropy. The discussion today is looking at how to bridge the gap between professional advisors and non-profit high-value fundraisers to better meet client and donor, need in their uh, sorry to better meet the needs of client and donors in their donor journey and additionally in their purpose-driven wealth strategy my name is Ophis zahannick and i'm the director of membership and development here at philanthropy impact and I'm the person to talk to if you'd like to know more about our training and how to make the most of your membership with us i'll share my email in the chat or at the end of the session for those watching the recording as always we will keep this to Just 30 minutes. I seem to be having problems speaking today, sorry. We will keep this discussion to just 30 minutes, uh, but it will go quickly and we encourage you to use the chat to introduce yourselves, have your say and post questions to our panel. Please make sure to select everyone so that everyone can see. Chairing this session today, we welcome John um, Pepin, our CEO. Sorry, John, I don't know what's gone in. It's because I'm waiting for my daughter to come home, sorry. Joining him, we welcome Sian Haldane, philanthropy advisor and chief impact officer from Munch, Jessica Maybanks from Philanthropy, who is the Philanthropy and Partnerships Advisor at The Brook, and Glenn Baker, who's a private client and corporate and charity investment management at Charles Stanley. Thank you all so much for joining today. And again, apologies for my, my mishaps. I will now pass over to John who will do a sterling job and make up for it. Thanks, John.
2: Thank you. Um, not a problem, Sophia. <laughs> uh, welcome everyone. Thank you for joining. Um, Maybe we could uh, start off by just uh, taking a minute, to, uh, if you could just describe your backgrounds and who, who you are, et cetera. So Sian, can we start with you,
0: please? Sure. Thanks, John. Um, I'm Siân Haldane, uh, Chief Impact Officer at March and a Philanthropy Advisor. Um, and a little bit of background on me: um, Why this is an interesting topic for me in particular. Um, I started my career uh, as a lawyer, and um, and then moved into a family office environment, and then changed tracks quickly to become a high value fundraiser myself. Um, and I think in that process, I really, uh, you know, sort of learned a lot about, um, obviously how a charity works and also knew from the outside, you know, sort of what some of the challenges were potentially for um, an actual donor and also for those around them trying to facilitate philanthropy. Um, Now at Munch, um, as chief impact officer, I work with our clients um, who are either individuals, corporates or other types of entities and I help uh, them with with their impact journeys and that often involves philanthropy.
2: Thank you very much. Uh,
3: Jess. Hi there. Um, Thank you so much for inviting me along today. It's a a real honour to be sat here with you Sian and Glenn and John yourself. Um, My name is Jessica Maybanks and um, I've been with a charity called Brook since about 2014 um, as their philanthropy and partnerships advisor. So Brook is actually an international NGO uh, that supports um, the welfare of working horses, donkeys and mules in some of the poorest countries around the world. So that's those animals that people rely on when mechanised transportation isn't an option. Perhaps, you know, it's not affordable or available and they transport everything from people to produce to food and water and are vital livelihood assets for schools of communities. So at At Brook, I tend to work with our major donor supporters and family trusts and foundations really to support their investment journey at Brook, providing a a sort of Rolls-Royce standard stewardship service for those existing clients, um, but also to showcase our work to prospective new um, supporters of the charity. And by working with professional advisors, that's been really valuable in um, that respect. Um, And also by, by working alongside the impact and the training sessions um, that we've had as a charity as well.
4: Thank you very much, Jessica. Glenn. Hello everyone, I'm, I'm Glenn Baker and I work at the wealth management business Charles Stanley and I'm responsible for drawing together professional advisors across a range of disciplines. Uh, for our across our client base and we have 23 UK offices and and our client base is is diverse so it ranges from multi-generational families and the next generation Uh, we look after business owners and entrepreneurs professionals in sports music entertainment media as well as family offices and charities and foundations and not-for-profits and why is this an interesting topic for me well if I were to, to point to one growing trend Across clients and, and professional and trusted advisors, especially over the last two years, it is that of a growing interest in philanthropy in particular. Um, what that looks like for different people, how to go about it, again, different for different circumstances and different situations. It's a, ve- it's a much debated topic and increasingly so.
2: Thank you, Glenn. So, um, Philanthropy Impact has taken a strong interest in this whole area. Um, because whenever we uh, had groups of high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals in the same room to talk about how we could grow philanthropy, there's at least always one or two or more sometimes who basically said we uh, have been alienated by fundraisers. They treat us as donors come and get money and stuff and then After a while, we don't hear from them again, and then they come back when they want more money. We really would like to be treated as clients and have our needs met. Uh, From an advisor's perspective, uh, quite often there would be issues because many uh, fundraisers would see them. I sound really negative about fundraisers, don't I? I don't really mean to be because I have done that. Well, maybe that's why I'm negative. Um, uh, So um, uh, advisors are seen sometimes by fundraisers as a source of, of, of clients and people to raise money from. And so there's some issues around that. So we established specialized training programs for high value fundraisers to teach them how to um, uh, treat their clients as sort of donors as clients, but also how to become trusted partners with professional advisors. Uh, we also have training for advisors about to follow up on what Glenn was saying about how to um, uh, support their clients so, uh, around their donor journey. So Cian, uh starting with you, um how can high value major donor fund
0: sorry Was I
2: was I that bad?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah jumping off <laughs> sorry
2: about that. You <laughs> I I turn off my phone, shouldn't I? <laughs>
0: um
2: Okay. It's off. Uh, okay, well, that's good. Um, anyway, so yeah, I us start all over again. Yes. Uh, how can major donor, um, high value fundraisers and professional advisors work together? And could you share some of your experiences when you were doing that at Cancer Research UK and what some of the benefits were?
0: Mm, Absolutely. So um, yeah, as John mentioned, um, Philanthropy Impact does offer some training and and I'm involved with this training and I was really excited when John first um, asked if I wanted to, you know, sort of help deliver this this training with Philanthropy Impact because I really believe that um, I could see, you know, sort of in the work that I was doing at Cancer Research UK, (laughs) Um, and as I say, just drawing on my, you know, sort of previous experience also from the advisor perspective, you know, how important it was for, um, for high value fundraisers just to be able to, you know, sort of work in a very sort of collegial way as peers with professional advisors and very much that they could, you know, sort of be doing this ultimately because you have the same, you have the same sort of clients. You're both serving high-value audiences. And really then it was around for me, um, you know, sort of just really ensuring that, um, you know, sort of you're making sure that you're both working as relationship managers, you helping your clients to achieve their philanthropic goals. That's ultimately what you're trying to do together. And 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 really, um, you know, sort of just drawing on from what Glenn was saying, how you can support the professional advisors is really helping them understand a little bit more about, you know, sort of how it is to interact with a charity, what will, what can their clients expect, um, you know, sort of really helping them understand a little bit more of that sort of process, um, and likewise with uh, your your clients, your supporters, it's really helping them, you know, also understand um, you know, what they can expect from the whole process and and really supporting them along the way, not just, I think, ultimately trying to make a sale. Um, It's about taking a step back and and really listening to them, understanding what they're trying to achieve and and doing that the best way that you can and using a network approach to do that. So that's why it's really important about building those relationships, working together with the professional advisors who are gonna be delivering on some of the more um, sort of technical aspects of, of that work.
2: So when you were doing that, that was pretty radical. Uh, can you give an example of how um, it was really effective with one of your clients?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, someone that I work quite closely with had a really, you know, specific idea about um, what she wanted to achieve. Um, you know, when she was working with with us uh, and before committing to making a donation, you know, she did quite a lot of work. She called it her due diligence um, on the organisation, and it was just really, you know, sort of giving her as much information as she needed you know from cancer research uk at that stage to help her do her due diligence um, and and helping asking as many questions to just sort of refine you know where where she was really you know sort of passionate really understanding you know what her objectives and motivations were um and then also understanding where she was you know sort of at, at her stage of her life and how then um, we could sort of support her in the best possible way and also helping her i guess then ultimately given away the was going to work best for her Um, and and just through really, you know, sort of taking my time with her um, and working with her in that way, um, she also was, you know, sort of interested to work with professional advisors who could help her achieve that objective. So I introduced her to um, a couple of different uh, professionals and then she made a choice with who she wanted to obviously work with at that stage um, to help her achieve what she was looking to do.
2: And did she uh, increase her giving?
0: she did yep so the relationship was an ongoing one and um yeah absolutely she not only her giving but her overall engagement with the organization and i think that's important too um is because of that you know real relationship that we built um it wasn't just about her giving uh financially to the organization she had you know sort of time she had skills um that she could also you know sort of help um support the organization with so it was really about um that
2: overall engagement with her. So um, uh, Glenn, Sia is talking about uh, major donor fundraisers supporting their clients in effect on their donor journey and working with professional advisors. But from a professional advisor perspective, should all professional advisors, whether they're private banks, legal, uh, wealth advisors, et cetera, et cetera, should they be playing a role in supporting their clients on their donor and social impact investment journey?
4: um where appropriate the answer is most definitely yes i would say um, I, I think the question of, of support is is a very interesting one isn't it um the short answer is a professional advisor actually has a lot of support that they can give although they may not necessarily realize it i mean if you let me John, if i sort of think this through with us for for a second or two i can give us a, a few examples oh, nice. um a, a professional advisor can has as already been said, can provide, you know, connections and connectivity, um, which in turn can obviously lead to donor opportunities, for instance, uh, but more generally provide contacts and networks that can strengthen and, and enhance a, a donor journey, uh, providing further validation, for instance, on, on that journey. But more than this, a, a professional provi- or advisor can provide another view of life um, this could be around corporate rigor or, or the application of that, or it could be institutional processes, for instance, but this, this other view of life can be a great support to donors in broadening their horizons and, and seeing what, what they are attempting to do and achieve from, from another point of view. That's very important, I would suggest. It's very healthy, that ability to see one's purpose or mission from another point of view. Um, And then added to that, of course, a a professional advisor should be able to, well, definitely if they're a professional advisor, should be able to give access to specialist knowledge. Um, And again, this is a sort of a hidden gem, but almost sort of staring us in the face. Um, This is where things can become very creative in assisting clients um, and those seeking donors to to access and leverage that knowledge, whatever it might be. Um, But the fact is that the associated intellectual prism, if you want to call it that, around specialist knowledge that a pro- the professional will have can in some way uh, either open a new door, enhance a way of thinking or provide intellectual capital. And I think those are some of the sort of key areas of support. You
2: have to depend upon other people because we found in our research there's 23 distinct services that someone needs on their donor journey, for example. And so no professional advisor will have expertise in all of them, but should have some understanding of what they are Um, So, do you have to use other people uh, sometimes in your practice?
4: You do, absolutely. So, so yes, Um, so the ability is to, um, the ability to provide a sort of overall collaborative approach where you are pulling in different specialists for specific areas, but the overall journey is still maintained, um, is obviously essential, otherwise you can find yourself down all, all manner of rabbit holes and misdirections and missteps, of course, yes.
2: No. It's interesting, because in those conversations I mentioned where we have uh, wealthy people in the same room, many of them talk about the fact that uh, when they first started off on their journey, they failed, and it was quite discouraging. And what we're finding, and I don't know if you're finding the same thing, but the failure rate sort of drops with the, their advisor's help. And our research showed that also that if their advisors support them on their donor journey, they tend to give seventeen times more a year, so between nineteen thousand and three hundred thirty-five thousand. So, um, are you finding that as well, then?
4: Definitely. So, I think there there is a there is a shift in that, isn't there? There's an increase, I think, in um, productivity and the and, and more favourable outcomes. Um, I think it's also interesting, John. If I, if I might, to sort of if we just think also why why that is and why we're almost having this conversation now in sort of twenty twenty. Two, rather than say, let's say 30 years ago. I mean, the picture then would be very different if we were talking about professional advisors. Um, and, and I know this is one of my sort of key areas I always like to discuss, but it has a lot to do, that shift for the better, has a lot to do um, with the un- unravelling of, of social emotional intelligence. Um, just very quickly on that, where we think about it, we, we now live in a world that is so much more empathetic. Now, I admit there's still some way to go, of course, I do admit that. But one of the impulses here is if, if you think back to the end of the say the 20th century, you know, the dominant mindset um, in, in the West at least was, was one of of, of thinking that we've mastered all of our vulnerabilities and that there was very little that could be overcome. And now, if we forward wine to where we are now in 2022, it's not the case that we're invulnerable. Quite the opposite. Rather, we are so much more aware of how vulnerable we actually all are and can become. And my point here, the reason I mention this, is professional advisors generally are very switched on to that, or they should be, but but typically they are. Uh, and that impulse is embedded deeply, I think, in the complexity of the work that they carry out for their clients um, and, and the help that they can give. So, it's, so there's a lot going on here, I think. as as a background, as a context, which I think we should be mindful of.
2: Interesting. Uh, uh, what we're finding, uh, even in conversations I've had just in the last day or so, is a lot of uh, young people, young wealthy people, so next gen, gen Z, whatever, are really frustrated with their advisors um, because they want to, in fact, live their values uh, and motivations, et cetera, and they want to do that either through philanthropy and or uh, impact investing. Are you finding uh, uh, there's pressure coming from clients to do this as well, not just from advisors?
4: No, definitely. So so I think if you look at um, the sort of difference between the demographics in terms of generational um, generations that there are differences definitely I mean their their intentions might be the same so it may well be that you know I want to help tackle climate change or I want to help tackle the education gap whatever it might be but broadly um broadly speaking the the sort of the the methodology and approach between the generations is difference I mean if just very quickly if you sort of think about that um let's take one approach is it going to be sort of you know, eating less meat and going va- vegan, for 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 instance, you know, it's it's not it's it's likely that people who are, who are teenagers or in their twenties are much more open to considering becoming vegans, for instance, than those demographically over sixty years of age. Um, so, I mean, it's if, if, if even more endemic than that. If you look at uh, Generation Alpha, for instance, so, you know, those that are under those under 10 year olds who live among us. This is already a generation that are developing very strong views against killing animals to eat them, for instance. Um, and so you've got a whole generation of eco warriors on its way. Um, but my point is, their approach will likely be very different from historical approaches. even from the approaches that you've just mentioned, John, and the clients that you're talking to. So yes, there are differences, definitely.
2: Uh, That sort of leads us nicely into uh, Jessica um, and uh, in terms of what your mission is. um, But I don't think empathy is an issue for charity so much, uh, but what you're looking at is a shift in the culture and behavior of major donor fundraisers. Um, So what makes a major donor fundraiser good advisor, good professional advisor. Why uh, become a partner with professional advisors from your perspective?
3: Well, actually, John, I think, you know, what Glenn said about empathy is absolutely crucial. I think, you know, to be um, a good major donor fundraiser and to be a good advisor, you have to have the, you know, a, a strong ability to empathize. And first and foremost, I guess, part of that is being a good listener as well. So, you know, um, the ability to listen and take feedback is really crucial in our roles um, as major donor fundraisers. I remember actually going to um, a training session quite a few years ago um, where the trainers suggested that a client meeting um, when the client spoke 80 percent of the time and you spoke the remaining 20 um, was a success. And, you know, I think that's really good advice in order to advise You need to start by listening and you need to start by asking questions which can then help you tailor your relationship with the client so it's bespoke and so that it fulfills their needs um, and priorities. I think as well to be um, a a good sort of major donor fundraiser slash advisor you have to have a good knowledge of not only your area of specialism which I guess goes without saying but also how that fits into global frameworks like sustainable development goals or like the concept of one health or um, the sort of ESG framework so that um, you can make your work relevant to other people and put it in context for them as well Um, and in terms of working with professional advisors and what makes um, a major donor fundraiser a good partner I think the ability to um, also and the desire to connect people is really important Um, And in the same vein, sort of the willingness to go the extra mile to help someone, you know, even if there's nothing in it for you. So I kind of believe in sort of professional karma, I guess, business karma. Um, I guess most things in life, yes, it's all swings and roundabouts. Um, And also having your own preset or sort of predefined standards and values that you abide by. Is also important because in our business, personal credibility builds trust. And if, you know, for example, if you say you're going to do something, do it and do it on time. Always be exceptionally respectful of other people's time too, because we know how flat out you know everyone is these days. Perhaps particularly um, professional advisors. Um, so so yeah, they're just some of the ways in which I think it, uh, a major donor fundraiser can be a, a good advisor and a good partner to advisors.
2: So you would be, in effect, a philanthropy advisor. Does that mean you put your clients' needs first?
3: I think you have to. I think that's really the only option if you're going to sort of attract investment. There's absolutely no point in trying to convince someone that they should invest in something they have no interest in or that doesn't align with their values or priorities or um, you know, sustain their own personal sustainable development desires. So I think that, yes, you you have to kind of put um, or, or really listen and put the needs of your your clients first.
2: Yeah. What happens then if uh, 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 they're not interested in what you're doing and what your organization's doing? Uh, what do you do in that case then?
3: I absolutely think that you have to know when to walk away. That that I'd say that first and foremost, you know, it's not going to, Brooke's work is not going to be of interest to, to everyone, but going back to that sort of business karma as well. I think, you know, going out your way to help people, even as I said, even if there's nothing in it for you, if there's something you can do for someone else, then even if that person might not directly wish to support Brooke or Brooke's outcomes, um often there are sort of uh, benefits in, in the longer term just by by supporting someone else's needs.
2: So you don't totally walk away. You help them find a way to uh, meet their values and uh, 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 live their uh, values.
3: Yeah, 100 percent. So, you know, in recent years, I guess the way we've worked with professional advisors has evolved quite a lot. You know, originally we set out to showcase Brooks' work to target advisors. To targeted advisors by way of delivering a presentation and um, so that our work was then on their radar and that was really the overriding aim um, and yes we had some successes and some positive outcomes but we've since realized that a much more kind of organic bespoke way of working is far more effective and that might mean actually you know working with the professional advisor to pinpoint very specific ways in which they might like to assist you with their skills and expertise, things that they might not realise that they're even able to do, but that would give them, you know, huge pride in being able to, to, to work in that way. Um, so, yeah, I think that it, sometimes you just have to walk walk away. Other times, it is about being creative.
2: Yeah. Okay, uh, Siân, um, where do you start to work with advisors? Because we know that advisors sort of hesitate quite a bit around being around fundraisers um and so where do you start to build up those relationships
0: yeah so i think um you know just saying where one going back to one of the points that jessica raised was it's about you understanding how your organization fits into a much wider universe and i think if you start from there it's about you know um really sort of Um, Looking at how you can tap into that wider universe and and actually learn about it from a starting point. So, you know, sort of learning and one way of learning is obviously, you know, sort of um, attending different types of um, sessions, obviously philanthropy impact is a good place to start. And Glenn will probably share, I'm sure Charles Stanley do lots of great events also where they're on charity law or different aspects that would be really interesting for fundraisers also to attend. So that's a good way to start building your network, plus understanding that wider universe. So I think it's really from growing growing there with, um, you know, first of all, building out your own knowledge. And then in that way, you're also, um, you know, building out your network um and and really sort of scaling it from that so uh, uh, that would be my advice is starting in that way um, and and building out your your relationships and also within your organization um also looking at where you already have those connections with professional advisors because you will through either your supporters or through some of your um, other stakeholders that you're already working with. Um, You know, if you've got a legacies team, if you've got a corporate partnerships team, you're likely to already be working with some sorts of um, professional advisors too.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, So Glenn, um, now that, uh, you know, we've had these discussions around the role of professional advisors, is this something that you might look at as a resource to help you and help your clients on their donor journey?
4: Well, do I, absolutely, yes, I, do, I think that is the case. Um, um, I mean, there are always two, at least two sides to every story, aren't there? Um, and and generally, you know, if we're being honest, professional advisors don't tend to always involve um, philanthropy advisors um, with, with their clients or keep them around. And there is all sorts of reasons for that. And maybe it's not a particularly well-trodden path. Um, but I think one, one key area that, that, that high value donor fundraisers can bring to clients is is almost certainly an awareness and and, and a great deal of insight. And that's incredibly valuable. And I think demonstrating that to clients um, is is essential and crucial. I mean, awareness and experience I'm talking about in terms of unlocking and driving forward. Uh, And part of the reason I suppose their contribution would be and is so important um, is because we should remember that there's still, still a lot of work to be done on on how our sort of growing awareness of and and the ability to access pots of wealth, for instance, where they exist, um, is correlated with with the impact economy. Um, So where where that shift across the scale towards impact investing uh, and then obviously onto philanthropy is still an evolving process um, in the mindset of of many, many, if not most clients, really. So, So in other words, what I'm saying, I definitely agree that this this sort of narrow bridge between sort of finance first and and impact first, Um, it's it's a delicate balancing act. And and that's that's where higher value major donor fundraisers have have a big part to play definitely in in the educative part of that.
2: It's interesting because of course the ideal for a professional advisor is to be the first call for clients Um, and uh, the same thing applied in Cien's example. Uh, Jessica, I noticed we only have two minutes left and Sophia's come on. Um, and now I know what it feels like to have someone come on in the middle of a conversation that's like to keep going for quite a while. Um, but Jessica, three seconds, um, first call, um, there are other issues. though, uh, internally, because it means a change in the KPIs and the, uh, culture and behavior within an organizations expectations. Can you give us 30 seconds about what that is and how you deal with it?
3: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, all too often um, there's a pressure just to bring the money in and there's a short-termist kind of attitude. um, And that has to change if you're going to be able to work with not only professional advisors successfully, but obviously you know, major donor fundraising, we know it takes a minimum of sort of 18 months to develop a really meaningful relationship with someone where they are deeply engaged in your cause and given a meaningful way. So absolutely changing KPIs around... You know, opportunities and networking and working with um, professional advisors in a, in a way that is of mutual benefit is very important, I think.
2: Fascinating. Thank you very much, uh, Jessica, Siân, uh, and Glenn. Over to you, Zofia.
1: Are you happy for us, even though we've done the 30 minutes, to do a 30 seconds of wisdom? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? yeah. Okay, so at this point, we always ask for the, what, what's the takeaway you'd like people to take from this session today? I'm going to ta- start with Sian on this one, as she's our training
0: facilitator. Um, I think it's all about those long term sustainable relationships and really understanding needs.
1: Thank you. And
3: Jessica? Um, I think it's a pretty tough time for um, major donor fundraisers, but I do think it's exciting. I think that, you know, the pandemic, as we all know, has shaken things up and changed perceptions, and it's something we can capitalise on, um, and it's something whereby charities and professional advisors can really work together to explore creative ways of increasing investment um, and, and adding value to the, the client's investment or financial journey, I guess.
4: Yeah. And over to you, Glenn. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, just almost sort of encapsulating what's just been said, really, but in terms of, I think the key takeaway is never underestimate the sort of connections and connectivity. Um, I think the future is really bright when you, when you sort of go down those, those routes because you can unlock so much. Um, all kinds of wisdom and, and, and sort of know-how does exist out there, probably in the people that you already know. Um, and so driving that forward, I think, is, is, is to be encouraged. Thank you, and final word to you, John. Um, uh, we have three
2: really excellent examples of people who have um, uh, built relationships and who um, have done it to the benefit of their organizations and more importantly, to the benefit of their clients and their clients' families. So thank you for leading the way to all three of you. Yeah,
1: thank you, everybody. That was just the end then my daughter's come in so sorry it's like the final end to this Monday that I've had is a nightmare but that was a brilliant session and I really loved the idea of the creativity that fundraisers can bring to the the donor journey because that's certainly something that I felt was really important when I was a major donor fundraiser was how I can make this fun for for the donors so thank you for that and we shared a link to the training in this in the um chat but if you want to know more about that please do get in touch with me i'm happy to talk through what we do and why we do it and how it can be a benefit to you um and also the announcements i have to make we've got walking machines next week as normal um but also our magazine part two which is to measure or to not measure is out today i think or at least you should be able to find it on our website but thank you very much all of you today and apologies again for my slightly distracted behavior and i'll see you all next week
2: thank you
1: thank you